We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Two weeks away. How does it feel? Well, I thought you were going to ask me how I am. Yep. How are you? Because <laughs> I was ready with that question. Sorry, I put you um, on the spot. Yeah. No, I, and I'm going to be honest, like I've been pretty up and down the last week. And it's funny, haha, not funny, because the Pearl six-month episode came out last week, but mm. shock horror, it was actually recorded three weeks ago. And I had a bit of a laugh listening to it back and then the feedback coming back in because, of course, I talked about sleep and how it had gotten better and teething, oh, is teething really a thing type thing and fucking oath it's been a thing the past week. And, um, yeah, I've actually had a really challenging week kind of mentally and I've kind of had similar feelings to how I felt when I was pregnant kind of start to creep back in and it's all related to sleep like Pearl's sleep has ju- had just gotten so bad again would only fall asleep literally still attached to my boob and anytime yeah. I tried to like remove my nipple she would wake up and I've mentioned so many times on the podcast that I'm someone who gets like overtouched easily. So overnight to try and get some sleep, we were co-sleeping, but she would end up just like attached to me for hours on end. And so I would like wake up in the morning already feeling like suffocated and touched out, which is not a great point to kind of already start at. And then on Friday I thought I was getting sick and I had this weird situation where By Saturday I was better but it's almost like the anxiety of getting sick while still having to look after three children and still having to wake up, you know, like five, six, whatever times a night. It's almost like the anxiety of getting fully sick was worse than my minor sickness itself and it was so strange to me because I'm not someone who has any kind of health anxiety or I'm not like a germaphobe or, yeah. or, or any of those things and I was just riddled with this anxiety of the what if if I were to go down and then it all kind of came to a head last night. Like I was trying to rock Pearl to sleep and she's been teething. And anyone who has a teething bub, because sometimes the symptoms are so vague, you don't know when the teething ends and like a new habit has formed. So I was kind of like getting in my own head going, oh, my God, like has her sleep changed forever to be this crap or is she still teething? And I'm trying to rock her to sleep and she was like screaming and trying to give her the dummy and she didn't want a bar of it. And anyway, I just like fully broke down. Like I was 
sobbing and called in Nick and he came to like help me out and I just, I don't know, like, yeah, it just really all came to a head and I think like it was so interesting. Yesterday he goes to me, oh, how are you feeling about getting back into work after having a break? And, of course, I'm so grateful for the break I had and I'm obviously very conscious that this week's episode is about finances. So I don't, I, like, I'm not whinging about the fact that I went away at all. But um, I almost, I said to Nick, I said, I'm almost so tired that I I feel like I don't have space to think about anything else. And I was like, I love work, but I was like, I'm not excited to go back because I don't know. It's almost like I didn't even know I felt this way until it all came to a head yesterday. Like I didn't know that I was starting to lose enjoyment in things. And I didn't realize that I, I, that I wasn't, you know, missing work. And I didn't realize, and it's, it's almost like I had to have this like really cathartic cry to all of a sudden feel like, oh, I can't go on like this. Like I can't keep being this tired and just getting on with things. You think maybe, and like, look, correct me if I'm wrong, because it could be a million things, but do you think traveling, because before you left, you were like, oh, she's finally like in this routine where she's sleeping. And then every time you go overseas, and I'm not saying you, I just mean kids in general, they just get thrown a spanner and not just them, mum, mum gets thrown. And I remember traveling with our kids when they were young and I had migraines. I was vomiting because my kids were not sleeping. And I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the fact that when you don't have sleep and the kids are just on you and then you wake up for another day and you're like, great, I've got to do this all over again. Like you go to bed and you feel like you close your eyes multiple times throughout your night. But I've got to say for me, honestly, this is why I always, and I know I sound like such a drag when I'm like traveling with kids. And yes, there are so many perks, but when babies are little, it is the hardest thing. And I genuinely feel for mine, the only way I can get into some sort of mental break and like a a nice pattern is when they're a baby at home sleeping you know, in a rhythm. I know, but and I was I was saying this to Nick last night and look, I have no judgment on sleep training or not sleep training or any of those things. I mean, I sleep trained both of my older two and I just, I think that now that I've been working in this space, like I think it's great that we get so much knowledge, but obviously it's so much noise as well. Like I hear things from people who are against sleep training. I hear things from people who are for sleep training and it's just so... I don't know, like part of me is like, okay, I think we've come to a point that we probably need to speak to someone because this isn't sustainable. And then another part of me is like, I I can't listen to Pearl cry. There's something about her. I just can't listen to her cry. But then I know things have to change. And then part of me is like, of course, I know her sleep was disrupted by traveling, but our family fucking loves it, you know? And then, I, and then I'm like, of course she would do better if she was on a strict schedule at home. And I was like, but I, I'm, I can't, I can't be that person that stays home all day, you know? So I'm in this like kind of this pool where I, I, I understand that some things would make it better, but maybe they're not necessarily things I want to do. And I don't know if that's selfish or naive or what, but yeah, I just, I just found it interesting that our six-month episode came out last week and in the past week I've actually had such a drastic change in the way I'm thinking about things to how bright I was, I guess, when we recorded that episode. Mm. And I guess that's parenting. Like there's no, 
you know, whether your child is sleep trained or not sleep trained, like none of it's linear, you know, you can come on and do an entire hour podcast about updates about one child and the next day it can be completely different. And I guess that's the beauty and the challenge of parenthood. But yeah, anyway, then of course, after I had that breakdown, she had the best night's sleep she has had in months. She heard you. Um, she only woke twice. <laughs> and so I turned to Nick this morning and I was like, are we still booking in with the sleep consultant or what? So anyway, watch this space. I just want to say that like, yeah, if, if, if you're struggling with some aspects of parenthood, like you're not alone, it, it's up and down. If you also feel torn about wanting to do things, for example, like us wanting to travel, you know, we want to make the most of Poppy's last six months before she goes to school. But then another part of me is like, I I need to be in one place for her to learn to sleep. So anyway, that's just my ramblings for the week. And how are you? Look, I was going to start off saying I really missed you. And then you said that you're not even missing back to work. So I was like, oh, there's a difference between missing you and missing totally the actual job. I'm not saying I, yeah, it's not that I don't miss the podcast. It's I didn't have it in me the past week to take on any more mentally. Yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. Not that it's not the job itself. Yeah. And I missed you. Of course I missed no, you. No, I missed you so much. Look, it's been a full on couple of weeks, especially while you've been away. And not that there's been like a huge extra low, but there's just been some other things that, you know, has been put on my plate. And I feel proud that I've managed it, but I also have missed you because I'm like, that's why we work so well together is because when you're Mm. here, we balance each other out really, really well. So I am really glad you're back. And um, And thank you for picking up. Oh, absolute pleasure as you would do for me. But I just on the topic of kids, I've got to agree with you when you're struggling with kids and being a parent, because at the moment I've got this real I don't know what it is in terms of juggling a tween and a and a toddler but in some ways they act exactly the same except one (laughs) should know better and one kind of should know better as well. It's like, I don't know what you both are thinking, but they are ganging up in a way that it's like, you're both having different meltdowns. You're both being out of control. And I, I don't know, I feel like I overanalyze my parenting and I'm like, okay, I need to, you know, adjust a few things I need to do it. And Harry wasn't here on the weekend and mum saw a glimpse of it. And she was like, just, you know, be kind to yourself. They're good kids someone over there needs a shorter leash. This one's all right. You know, and she's right. It's just sort of just being kind to yourself, especially when things are going harder than usual. But I did actually sit in silence and really take in what has been going on over the past three days. And I had to put up a timeout with the 10 year old. I, instead of putting her in her room, which I've never done, I've actually said when she does something, come and sit next to me and you'll sit with me until I've I've finished. And what it does and what it's been doing is she's like, I don't want to be here. Can I go? I'm like, no, you can't. You can just sit here. And then slowly she'll say things about. And so are you speaking to her or just in silence? No. So I will literally say I'll go over why she's sitting there and what I think is the problem. And, you know, does she understand that scratching her sister is actually not acceptable or yelling back at me or answering back is not acceptable? And and she will simply say, no, 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 no. And I'll go, okay, that's fine. You keep sitting here then. And then she'll go, but 
and I'll slowly get out of her what is actually going on because you just don't know with all those emotions what's happening. And she'll go, it's just that Yumi said to me this and she got right up in my face and I'm like, totally understand. But this is, this is what it was. Ready? Hey, I understand that Yumi got in your face and it is not acceptable. And even though she's four now, we're treating her as all of you, like she should know better. So we're like, don't do that. Not just, oh, let her do that. Let her do that. She's a baby. She's not. But you cannot touch someone else. You cannot push someone else. I said, Mia, if you were older and you did something drastic to someone, you go to jail. She's like, well, I'm not in jail and I'm not old enough. I'm like, okay, I get that. I'm like, but you cannot touch other people no matter what and it just wasn't going through so I just said you can sit here longer anyway she's sitting there she's getting agitated and I kind of liked it because I was like I felt like I needed an upper hand like I just felt like she needed to sit with me she didn't have to talk she could talk she could do whatever she wanted but I just needed her in my presence without her being on her own and not understanding those high emotions that she's going through so look I have no fucking idea what I'm doing <laughs> I'm just trying that Yumi Hallelujah, oh, neither do I. Good. Yumi's on a whole different like she's just reverted to back like being a baby again like she'll go and I'm like why are you drooling on the floor like do you know I think what the um whole crux of what both of our stories have been is parenthood is constantly going has this gone far enough that it's time for me to do something about it (laughs) or can I just continue doing what I'm doing you're going through that with your 10 year old you're going through that with your four year old I'm going through that with my near seven month old (laughs) we're all just sitting here going is this the new normal and now I need to make some changes or can we blame it on development (laughs) (laughs) that or the moon that's what we always do I just feel like at the moment maybe there's something I need to do so anyway is your 10 year old teething yeah (laughs) I think she's teething the poor love I think I'm teething too well I was gonna say I was like thinking while you were away I'm like one, I want to know what the listeners think. Would you like to be called, we go between BTB legends and then we go between bumpers. No, bumpers. Do you want it to be bumpers? All right. I don't like BTB legends. See, I kind of like it. And I just thought if you are on the Facebook chat or you want to be, go into our link and ask us this week. We'll put a poll up just to see what you would prefer to be called, just so we can get an overall consensus of what you guys would like. Well, clearly I vote for bumpers, sorry, yes, <laughs> as you've all just heard. But feel free to um, completely unbiasedly vote amongst yourselves. Now, I do have a Rudolph Fabulous that was sent in. Do tell. I can't believe I haven't sent this in earlier. Earlier in the year, we were on holidays in Queensland. I'd slept naked and was lying in bed in the morning with the sheets half across me. My five-year-old storms into the room screaming and tantruming about something. She climbs onto the bed and I think I said something like, I just need a minute to get my head together and get up and then I can help you. She then starts screaming, you are the worst mum in the world. I hate you. You are so mean and so on and so on. And then without drawing breath as her closing statement, she goes and put some undies on. Your vagina looks awful. (laughs) Where do you even go from there she wins forever (laughs) that is so freaking funny I said well I'm sure you've got a beautiful vagina (laughs) (laughs) yeah she does anyway I feel like that's on theme with today's intro that um you know all our children are just driving us mad so I mentioned something recently on our weekly newsletter and Mia was cleaning her room last week and was like 
you know, really proud of it. Anyway, Yumi was strolling past and she said to Yumi, Yumi, what do you think of my room, my new room? And she, she looks at it and she goes, yeah, good enough and kept walking. And I was like, wow, this whole good enough parenting approach has now gone down, down to, your to the toddler and she's now things, because usually we would say perfect and we're renaming things <laughs> to good enough and now she's like, yeah, it's good enough. She was a bit pissed. but And Mia's like, that response was not yeah, good enough. <laughs> that was not good enough. I wanted perfect. But anyway, that was fun. That was fun. Well, we're going to get into today's episode. This was such a great chat. We chatted with Frances Cook. She's a financial advisor and a financial journalist and a self-proclaimed ex-hot financial mess. And we chatted all about, I guess, what's happening in the world right now with the price of things, how we can make smarter financial decisions as a family, how to prep for maternity leave, heaps of different stuff about money. And we ask all your hard hitting questions like why are toddlers addicted to fresh berries? I think that's probably the one (laughs) thing on everyone's mind right now. Also the benefits of joint bank accounts and separate bank accounts. Who is the spender and who is the saver in your household? Um, I'm actually not getting Harry to listen to this as he's already the saver in our household, but I have definitely taken away loads on this episode and we really hope you guys enjoy. You don't want him to turn around and make you start doing a money diet. So yeah, Harry, don't listen to this. No spreadsheet. Bye. (laughs) Hello, Francis. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. For those who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be chatting about today? Hi, everyone. Lovely to be here too. Yeah, I'm Francis Cook. I am someone who is formerly a financial hot mess. And now I make a living basically trying to save people from my mistakes. I have qualified as a financial advisor. I work as a financial journalist uh, in my day to day and basically just spend my time trying to make money simple because God knows there's enough complicated stuff out there. Yes. If we can keep it simple today, I would very much appreciate that. (laughs) Absolutely. But I think a lot of people that wrote in were asking what on earth is happening right now? Like, can you give us a quick explainer on why everything is so expensive, why so many families are struggling financially right now? Yeah, the problem right now, and we're seeing this all over the world, is that everything started getting really expensive, right? So we had, I'm sorry to say, you know, COVID. I know we all want to pretend that that's just gone away now and not talk about that but the the supply chain issues, everyone being stuck in their homes, nowhere to spend their money, and then we got out and we spent up large. All of this stuff sort of combined, and prices of everything started to skyrocket. The way that they fix that is they raise interest rates. So your credit card becomes more expensive. Your mortgage becomes more expensive. Even if you're a renter, the costs get passed on to you. And so all of those really big core costs then become much more expensive. It usually does work in order to bring prices down again. And we are seeing that start to work. But there's this horrible in-between time where the prices are still high and the nasty medicine that will fix it is making other things really expensive. And so you're squeezed on every front and it just kind of sucks. And there's no other less cruel way that we can bring down spending a bit because I feel like it just feels 
like everyone's paying more mortgage or paying more rent while their business, if they own it, also isn't making any money while they're then spending so much on everything. Like it just seems like some people cop it in all directions and then some people aren't copying it at all. How do you get ahead? Yeah, I mean, basically you play possum for a while and you try not to move and you try not to spend and you just try to get through it. The There is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel where it's looking like, and this is true for both Australia and New Zealand, where they might be done with interest rate rises. There might be one or two small ones left, but it's basically looking like they've achieved what they want to. So if you can hold on tight for six months to a year, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I know I wish that there was a less nasty medicine to get us through this as well, because you're right. There are some people who are getting really, really squeezed on all sides. And when you're talking food prices and your mortgage or rent, mm. these aren't really negotiables. These aren't really things you can just no. stop paying for. Well, that does make sense. And we're going to move into planning financially before having a family. Obviously, this only applies to people who don't have a whoopsie baby or have the ability to plan, which obviously isn't everyone. But what do we need to think about financially before we start a family? Yeah. You know, there's always the question of how do I know when I'm ready for a baby? So in a financial sense, how do you know that? I mean, in both the financial sense and the life sense, are you ever ready for a baby? Yeah. <laughs> well said. No. There's no right answer. I, I think I think a baby uh, is life changing, no matter what. And it's always you. You can do so much planning and so much prep, and then it always just kind of gets thrown out the window anyway. So I think the first thing is to say, okay, I'm going to do the best I can and plan for this the best I can while knowing that I'm going to have every curveball under the sun thrown my way and that's okay. I'm only human. I think you've really got to give yourself a break a lot of the time mm. where we kind of expect ourselves to be superhuman and perfectly prepared. And especially if it's a first baby, you simply, you simply won't be prepared. But, you know, if you're then thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to start trying for a baby and I would like to prepare my finances as much as possible. The more financially secure you can be before you have that baby, the the easier it will be because it will be so much harder once you've got children and, and they are expensive wee critters. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, they are. Why are they? Why are all toddlers addicted to fresh berries? I just, that's what I need to know. Please stop oh it. Someone oh wrote in the question saying, can you please ask if the cost of berries will come down soon or if I should start <laughs> considering selling a kidney? So Sell that kidney. We've got the right person here. You understand the berries. <laughs> <laughs> kidney, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's not great. <laughs> There's a few things you can do. And bear in mind, no tip will work for everyone because our lives are all wonderfully different, right? But even if you find one tip, that can really help. So as much as you can, pay off all debt, right? Because that's a set locked-in cost that just makes life so much more expensive. When you make an extra repayment on a debt, you get ahead way faster than minimum repayments because you save yourself everything it would have cost you in fees and interest and all of that stuff. So $1 paid off onto debt is often worth about $2. So pay mm. off as much debt as you can. If you're able to do something like practice living on one income, if you've got a partner that you are having this baby with, if you can practice living on one income or even, you know, one and a half incomes, whatever you can do, it gives you that practice in, okay, what do we have to spend? What can 
can we cut out? What's, you know, the nice to haves? What is a real sanity saver? If you find a cheap sanity saver, keep it. That's great. But it gives you that practice on what it might be like on maternity leave. And of course, really helps you save. So that's a really good one if you can. And then, you know, chat to any of your friends who've had a baby or even friends of friends. The mum tribe is fantastic and you will need your mum tribe and they will help you with things like finding great stores that have secondhand yeah. toys that aren't totally busted or you, you know the sleep sacks or, or whatever else and you can get in the the hand-me-down chain of all your friends you know the mum tribe you're gonna need them they will absolutely save your sanity you need people in the trenches with you this is where all the mum hacks come in and you start opening up and going, oh my gosh, like without them, you really don't know how much you can, you know, understand and you can save on things and where to go and take your baby. And yeah, it's awesome to have that connection. What are some expenses that people might not think about when starting a family? I think people always underestimate how much of a hit you'll take from that maternity and and it's I don't want to sound negative right like all of this is fixable all of this is dealable and you don't want to feel like oh god I have to fix it all my life is going to fall apart right like it's it's all totally dealable but just don't underestimate how much of a hit women take from going on maternity leave and especially with things like your super in Australia or KiwiSaver here in New Zealand when you're taking that time out of the workforce in your 20s or 30s it really, really builds up over time. Some bosses will continue to make payments into your super or KiwiSaver while you're off. So I think it's also a really good thing to have a conversation with your boss and frame it however you think will appeal to them because, you know, different bosses have different priorities. But the biggest tip I ever got in negotiations is don't negotiate from your point of view negotiate from the other person's point of view. Mm, so, clever. Right? So if you're at a workplace where they really pride themselves on, they've got the rainbow tick or whatever else, they really pride themselves on being an equitable workplace, jump in there and say, you know, I know that you really believe in pay equity and looking after women. And I was just wondering if while I'm on maternity leave, can my super payments continue? And, you know, really appeal to them feeling like the good guy or whatever else you think will appeal to your boss. And so I think that is actually one of the things that people don't realize by the time that money has A, not gone in, but then not been earning for 30 years until you retire. Mm. It's actually a really, really huge impact. So find a way to low-key manipulate your boss. I feel like the government should just make that mandatory because otherwise women, like I've seen and heard so many stories and situations where, you know, mums end up not going to work because they're the stay-at-home mum and then 10 years down the track or 20 years down the track, there's a divorce and they are left with absolutely nothing. Like I feel like the primary carer that's staying at home who is unable to work most definitely should at the very least have super paid for them. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I'm taking this. I'm taking this matter further you start than this the podcast. Petition and I will sign it. I'm down for okay, this. Okay, cool. Cool. I think you'll get a few signatures yes. on that one. So if you can 
look, it's silly to think we can plan out our life like this, but if we're talking purely from a financial sense, does it make more sense to go, this is the career I want to be in, I'm going to work my way up to this point and then I'm going to have babies? Or is it wiser to go, I'm going to have my babies now, say you're 25 or something, and then after I've finished having my babies, then I'm going to work my way up? Is there one way or the other that makes more sense financially? Because sometimes you can work your way up and then you can think, oh, my God, this is such a waste. Now I'm leaving and I'm going to be forgotten. Or do you just flick a coin, heads and tails? (laughs) Some of it will depend on your personality as well, right, and the situation that you're in with your partner because it is often a lot of the times the woman's career that takes a hit. But not always. Sometimes assuming that you're in a partnership with a man that sometimes the guy does want to take a break on his career and is totally happy to look after the kids while you go and girl boss your way through life. And that's totally cool. So I think it will depend a lot on what your situation is. And I think on what you want. I think the best way for me to explain this is is honestly how I approached it. I was a journalist for a long time, still am, but a, a sort of a different kind of journalist from what people expect. When I was doing that real frontline journalism where you're responding to live events and covering them, that was shift work and it was living in expensive cities and there was no way around that. And I twigged sort of about my mid-20s. I was like, okay... I really want kids, not right now, but honest to God, in about five years or so. And it was that much of a thought ahead of time of this career as it is right now, not compatible with me being the type of mum I want to be. I want to be there for breakfast and dinner. And right now I wouldn't be. And so I started angling my career towards something that I felt would be really rewarding but not so much based on the shift work. And I started pursuing quite niche skills so that I would be hard to replace and I could leverage that for a pay rise and also leverage that, you know, I don't live in a main city now. I do work from home four days a week. I'm in, you know, our main center, Auckland, one day a week. And that is something that has worked out really well for our family. But I literally started planning out my career of, okay, what kind of mum do I want to be? How much do I want to be here on the day to day? Okay, how am I going to pursue a career where I am valuable and hard to replace and they are willing to make concessions for me because I'm so valuable in other areas? Now, do I think that's how everyone would want to do it? No, but I can say if, if that does sound appealing to anyone, then I highly recommend it because I have a level of work-life balance now. It was really hard to get here. And yes, it took years of planning, but it was so worth it. And I don't think women should have to do that. But I think the unfortunate reality is you often kind of do. So I had a whoopsie baby at 25 and I was working doing marketing and advertising. And, you know, when you have a whoopsie baby, you kind of don't really have that future thought of what 
would I be like as a mum? What do I want to do work-wise? How will this, you know, go down? And I ended up having a, like a really bad pregnancy in terms of hyperemesis. So I couldn't actually go to work while I was pregnant because I was so sick. So that already was starting to happen, but I had some leave up my sleeve to be able to use. And then when I had my baby, I was like, oh, you know, I'll probably be back in about three months because, you know, that's what it says, like, that's what you should do. Like three to six months, you can go back to work. And then I just fell in love with being a stay at home mum. that I was like, I don't want to go back to work. I want to do this. And my husband at the time was doing personal training at a gym. He was also studying at the time and very low income, one income in the end, except we had parenting payment, but we made that decision to go one income based on me wanting to provide and be home with my child. But I don't think we ever expected that that was the road we were going to take until we had our child. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's such an important thing to keep mentally that flexibility, right? Because I've known some of my friends who were super career focused and assumed that they would be dying to get back to work and then had their baby and thought, actually, I just feel like none of that matters to me anymore. And I also have had friends who thought the opposite. They were like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, home baking, going to make my own bread. It's going to be, you know, full housewife thing and hated it and really, really wanted to get back to work. It was like, I love my baby, but I I find fulfillment outside of it. And I think you genuinely can't know which way you're going to go until you're in that situation. And so that's why I always say, make your best plans. But if it turns out differently, that's cool. That's totally fine. And I think it's really important to give yourself that grace for that. And, you know, when you've got your partner who, as you say, working as a personal trainer and studying, that must have been a lot. But I also, you Mm. know, you staying home and being ready to look after Bob and whatever you could manage with the house around that. I'm always careful around saying managing the household because I'm like, "Mm, the child is a full-time gig. But (laughs) (laughs) whatever you managed around that. I think it's a mentality as well that it's like, we will make this work. Like whatever happens is we'll make it work. And I think being both really young parents, well, at the time we felt like we were young parents, we were kind of just winging it. We were like, yeah, we have debt. Yeah, we have this. And I will admit the financial stress was quite high. It was really high. We were renting. We had that one income. And I think the best thing that we actually did in that time was go on payment plans for everything that we had to take the pressure off ourselves because we're like, we don't have extra savings. Like this is it right now until I have my second child and I still, then we had double, (laughs) double the expenses. But what do you think about that? If you're finding it tight with one child or two children, especially with the state of things right now, should we be avoiding having another one? Mm. Oh, that's wading into a whole level of people's personal <laughs> what lives. What is your Come answer? Come on, that's a simple yes <laughs> or no, right? Um, I'm, I'm so big on people know their own lives the best and what your gut feeling is telling you is something you yeah. really need to tune into. Anytime I've ended up in hot water in my life, it's because I've ignored my gut feeling about whatever that is. So I think if your gut's saying, oh, we really shouldn't do this, and you're going, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, tune into that. If you're saying, actually, I think we can make this work, and it's going to be hard, but I have a plan and a strategy 
then, you know, sure, fine. You know your life the best. But I think the key is making sure that you're being realistic about it. And even though like, Lord, I am someone who hates a spreadsheet. I know I'm the finance girl, but I'm I'm not great with <laughs> spreadsheets. But if you can sit down with your partner and say, you know, here are the things that we want to prioritize and here are our bills, you know, literally go through your bank account statement for the last month. Make sure you're being super realistic about this is what we've got going on. This is what we want to have going on. These are the things we don't care if we lose. And then you need to make sure that you can find a way to make that work because money is the number one thing that causes divorce. And it's, an awful stat to trot out, but it is true that, you know, love alone will not often keep things going in your relationship. But it's not just that money problems break up relationships. It's that money problems and blaming each other for them will Mm. break up relationships. There is a small number of people who found that money problems actually bring them closer together because they work as a team and they say, okay, these are our priorities and we're pulling in the same direction towards this. And it's you against the world and you're making it work. And in that situation, it can actually really bring you together. So what you want to make sure is that you have similar goals And you have similar things that you're willing to sacrifice for those goals and that you are willing to work together on that and that everyone feels heard. So money problems themselves can often be worked around. It's just making sure that you're working as a team. That is the number one thing. Yeah, yeah. because we had someone write in saying that their partner is a spender and she's a saver. And so at the end of the day, it always gets down to there not being enough left for her to spend on the things that she enjoys or feels she needs or whatever. So how would you go about that? I guess it's just all communication, right? It is so classic that you have a spender and a saver together. I swear that is, that is every couple. There is one who is in the <laughs> spender Harry. role. It yeah. is. It really is. And I'm the spender. <laughs> and he's the saver. Yeah, there you go. Well, the trick then I think is what is the number one thing that is bringing joy to your life? And I'm a big advocate for values-based spending, which is there is no one way to spend your money that is quote unquote right. It is Hmm. just that you want to be using money to build the best life for you. So I always say have a money diary at least for one week and you write down Every single thing you spend, even if it's $2, don't care, write it down, get it in there. And then next to it, two things that are both equally as important. First is how much you needed to spend it. And that is like a true need. Like if you have good public transport in your area and you're taking the car, then that's maybe a five out of 10 need. So really be strict with yourself on that. But the second thing is how happy it made you. And that's so important because if you try to go on the financial equivalent of a crash diet, you will never stick with it. You will be Mm. so upset. You will run up the credit card bill because you'll be thinking, my brain is in desperate need of some serotonin here. (laughs) Help me out. And so you need to make sure when you're looking at the things that truly make you happy, I mean, there's always, always something in that money diary at the end of the week. I've never met one person who said there was nothing in there that I didn't need and that didn't make me happy. There's always one thing at least. So that's easy. You just get rid of it. But the happiness spending, you're like, okay, am I doing this the smartest way I can financially? You know, 
I like going out for brunch. Awesome. Cool. That's how you see your friends. That's how you get out and about in public. There aren't actually many free ways to be in public with your friends. Mm. But could you go for a coffee instead? Because that's like a fifth Mm. of the price. Are you being smart with how you get your happiness spending? And once it's written down, you look at it differently. So when things are super tight, I'm a real big... Yeah, as someone who doesn't track much, just a week, longer if you can. Once you see it written down, your brain just handles it differently. Mm, that's already feeling confronting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you can keep the happy spending, I promise. Yeah, I'm mentally <laughs> logging already the day so far and it's making me feel uneasy. What's your advice for couples that there's a stay-at-home parent and then there's one that goes to work and it's the first time that you're about to have a child and you've got the one person that's making the income and they seem like, or maybe the stay-at-home parent feels like they're not entitled to like the certain amount of money. How do you go around budgeting and feeling that you're, you know, you're allowed to have a portion of that money even though you're the one staying at home? Because I, I have heard that a lot of people do feel quite uncomfortable and there can be a bit of hierarchy when it comes to this. Yeah, it, it sets up a power dynamic that can be a little tricky for people. And it's it's easy to be like, you know, you've just got to communicate with each other. And all of us struggle to talk about money. Nobody likes it, to be honest, because money cuts to all of those core parts of ourselves that are really vulnerable. You know, how important we think we are, how smart we think we are. Money is tied into all of those parts of ourselves that don't like to be prodded. So when you have these conversations with your partner, they're already a bit loaded. So I think for starters, it's really good to get used to having a money conversation with your partner, whether or not it's about this stuff, just get used to talking money and then it will make other money conversations a little easier. So a really good way is to take the money conversation out of the here and now. So what Mm. would you want to do if we won the lottery? And then, you know, that's just like a really fun little daydream conversation, but it's telling you their money values. If they say, I would want to buy a house or pay off the house or go on a big holiday or quit my job, you know, you're getting insight into their money values and what matters the most to them, which is fantastic. And then you're, you're just slowly getting more onto the same page. Once you get a bit more used to having those money conversations, then you can have something like the the money date where you sit down once a week or once a fortnight and you go through, okay, here's what we've been spending. Are we happy with this? Is this all good? And, you know, pour out a glass of wine. That's totally fine. Have some chocolate. I'm all for bribing yourself, making this a bit more fun (laughs) (laughs) and getting used to talking about money with each other. And it, it breaks down that power dynamic a bit. I would say the the last thing, I know I'm giving the world's longest answer, but it's it's just, it's a tricky one for people, right? Yeah. If you can remember how much you're saving your household, how much you're contributing to the household, working as, depending on what your particular dynamic, but, you know, childcare, cleaning, cooking, gardening, you might be running accounts, you know, all of these various things. There have been some people who've added up how much a stay-at-home mum would be paid if it was all paid jobs. And it's over 100K a 
year. So you're doing something incredible and valuable. And please do remember that. If it helps, you could always have like a little chunk that you each get, whether it's $20, $50, $100, it'll depend on your budget. But if you each get a little bit of guilt-free spending money that goes into your account each week, nobody else sees what you spend it on. I think that's really important just for keeping things rebalancing that power dynamic so that you don't feel like you're constantly having to answer for your spending decisions. I think it's really nice to know that you can have your own privacy when it comes to spending as long as you don't have trust there. There has to be trust, but also you don't want to, like if you don't, if you've got obviously a, a spending habit and an issue, then that's completely different. But I feel like it's just nice to know that you don't have to be questioned when you are buying something for yourself or you are buying stuff for your kids. What's your thoughts on that? Should couples or parents be combining their finances? Again, that's going to depend so much on your your personality and how your relationship works. Some people love just everything into a mixed pot and that works really well for them. Personally, I would find that confusing. I'm a fan of as many different separate bank accounts as you can. Like I like having a different bank account for every single savings goal. The only trick there is please make sure it's something like an online only fees free account. You don't want to be paying for that. It can add yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 25 different accounts that yeah. you're paying fees on. Yeah. yeah. But I do think one that often works really really well for people is paying a percentage of whatever they're earning into a joint account that then covers the bills. And then you have your own spending money and you might have joint savings or separate savings or joint investments, if that's something you're doing, or separate investments. In my household, we have a mix where I have my own personal investments and savings. We also have a joint investing account. We also have a joint savings account. But I really just like having my own feeling of independence, knowing that I don't have to answer to anyone for the decisions Mm. I'm making with that money. And that is mine. And we talk all the time about what we're spending on. And there's absolutely no secrets. But it is just that feeling of being an adult and yeah. not having to answer to someone is really important. For someone else, they might feel totally differently about that. And that's where I think there's the maths of how money can work. And there's also your personality and what makes you feel safe and secure and like you're in a trusted relationship. That's equally as important. I've heard so many people that have come back from like a sale or not a sale. They've just bought something and their husband's like, oh, is that new? How much did that cost? They're like, oh, it was on sale. It was like 20 bucks. And it's like, was it really 20 bucks? You're like, no, it was 90. But like, that's what we do. We just slash, we slash everything, quarter it. And that's what we tell them. And they're happy with that. I know. I know. It's so funny that. I, but I, yeah, I got to say, I think if you're feeling the need to hide from your yeah. partner yeah. what you're spending, that is a red flag, right? Like, I'm I'm a big proponent of be unashamedly you. Like if you yes. want to spend $300 on a pair of shoes and that makes you happy and it fits your budget, very importantly, you're not getting into credit yeah. card debt for this, then you should be able to say, yeah, that was my happiness spending and it's in the budget and it's accounted for and I'm I'm not sorry. You know, you just went and spent a whole heap on your car. I don't care. You know? Mm. No, that's a really good point. And I think... 
having that backing yourself um, and making sure it's all in the budget and you've talked about it is a really good thing. And it rebalances that power dynamic, right? Just because it's a silly feminine thing. I buy silly feminine things all the time. I don't care. He buys silly masculine things that's all right (laughs) Mm. but what if you are on a really tight budget and you you cannot afford to splurge and you do have that in you where you you know you want to buy that and then you're left with you know I don't know a hundred dollars for that week like how do you change your mindset or what can you do to shift that because I think there's a lot of people out there right now when they're suffering with all these interest rates and rental prices increasing, Mm -hmm. they want to also feel happy. And and actually what you were saying before, go and see a friend or do something, but they are still left. It's like they've got no, you can't be happy. And you also, you can't even pay your rent. Like there's just at the moment, not really a a good win-win. So what can you recommend? Are there any tips for those people that are really, really suffering? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind as well is whatever the reality of your financial situation is, you're going to feel better if you face it head on, because Mm. there's that tendency to want to run away from it and put things on credit cards and say, it's going to be okay. You know, in the back of your mind that you're going backwards and it's freaking you out and it's stressing you out. Even if you have to make some hard decisions, you're going to feel better once you face it and are being realistic about it. And so if you do something like that money diary, then you might look at it and say, I can't fit 90% of this in my budget anymore. All of this happiness spending has to go, but it will still show you what's making you happy. And then you can make plans based on that. So maybe you really like going to see your friends and having brunch and having coffee. Um, then you might do something like meet up with them, go for a walk with coffees that you made at home because you know that having a little bit of a treat and seeing your friends and getting outside, that's important to you. And so you can find what's underlying those treats and say, I'm going to keep this in my life in a way that makes me really happy but is not killing my budget and stressing me out and actually making me less happy. And I did something along these lines back in um Back in 2020, I set a New Year's resolution. Didn't know that year was going to be challenging enough as it was anyway. So just <laughs> throwing myself a curveball. <laughs> and I decided I was like, I'm just not going to get ahead. And I am a very vain girl. I like new clothes. I like pretty things. I am one of those people who could very happily go to the mall, wander around all the shops and and spend fast. I have no idea what you mean. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I'm well alone on this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so I decided I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try and shop secondhand for everything for this entire year. And I'm just going to see how it goes. And I put something up on my Instagram about it. Cause I was like, okay, that'll keep me accountable. If I've got all these people <laughs> knowing that I'm doing this and it got a lot more attention than I had realized it would. I worked for the New Zealand Herald at the time and I got in trouble for not giving it to them as an exclusive. Oh, wow. <laughs> Anyone would care, but sure. I'll write you something about it now. My bad. Sorry. And It's really interesting. Even through everything that happened that year, I still kept with the secondhand shopping. Well, that would have been easy because you didn't go out anyway, did you? (laughs) (laughs) It was the easiest shop of your life that year. You stayed at home in your pajamas. Bought one loungewear outfit and you were right. (laughs) I got really good at the online secondhand shopping that year. (laughs) 
Oh, but you great. know, it kept it in my life, and I've I've never gone back. It's now been three years. I would say ninety percent of my clothes are now secondhand, and I've got to tell you, my investment portfolio has boomed in that time wow. because the amount of money I've saved and I've just chucked it straight towards future me and a bit more towards financial independence and I, I feel like I've cheated the system because I get what I want without the financial stress it's fantastic that's awesome that's actually a really good idea now if we are a stay-at-home mom or we're not working currently how can we protect ourselves even though we're not financially independent because as you say like they could up and leave. You could decide yeah. to leave. Or, you know, not to be awful, but people die as well. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's really common. Women often end up at the end of their lives alone. And I'm really sorry to, again, be saying something so grim, but it is true because men die earlier than women or divorce happens. And it's it's just reality that at a certain point, you're going to be on your own and having to figure out the finances. So I think especially if you're a stay-at-home mom, just keeping those lines of communication open. And I think having a set, something like the money date, um, where if it's weekly or fortnightly, we try to do it in our house. We try to make money just a normal topic of conversation, mm. but we have a, a monthly hard check-in of what's going on with the mortgage, what's going on with the bills, what's going on with the investments. And we go through everything on this blimmin spreadsheet that my husband put together. I hate spreadsheets and he's really good at them. And so he's in charge of the spreadsheet. As long as there's someone who's enjoying yeah. doing right? it, I, that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> Marry someone who likes a spreadsheet. I've really got to recommend that as a tactic. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just make sure that you're having those conversations so that you know where everything is. Because that's another thing that can happen. If divorce or death happens, sometimes women don't even know where the money is. And so that's mm. really, really tricky. So make sure it's a normal, regular topic of conversation. And then it's a really common thing where women take it as a sign of trust in their relationship and a sign of love that they let the man handle the big financial decisions like mortgage, savings, investments. And while I understand that, and I certainly hope that you're with someone that you trust and love, a, things can go wrong. B, the flip side of that is when the researchers talked to men about it, they actually felt a lot of pressure to deliver mm, and they yeah, weren't yeah. always sure what they were doing, but felt like they were expected to do it. Yeah. So I think actually it's a gift to take some of that load off your partner's plate and to be in on those decisions with them and talking to them about them, making sure you know where everything is and you're talking about decisions and you're on the same page. And then the last thing is, I just truly believe that everyone should have their own savings account. Even if it's got a couple of hundred bucks in it, if you can get $1,000 or even up to $10,000 in it, amazing. But even if it's a couple of hundred bucks in your own savings account, I do think that's really important just for peace of mind. Doesn't have to be a secret, can be a secret if you'd prefer it that way, but have your own savings. Yeah. It's just really important to be independent. Smart. Is it true that there's statistically more homeless women than men? Yes. And there's also um, women are far more likely to end up in poverty, particularly in old age. And I don't think that's what anyone wants. I mean, the idea of working really hard your whole life and then there's something, some horrible accident of bad luck happens or you finish working and you retire and you're one of those people who can barely afford to put on the heating. I just think that's so 
unfair. And there's, mm. look, there's a lot of things that hold women back, the pay gap, taking time out of the workforce for children. All of those things are real. But I think the thing is, if you take the time to, to learn, you don't have to learn heaps about money. You really, truly don't. The basics of money are super simple and you can probably listen to a couple of podcasts, read a couple of books and you'll be sorted. That's that's genuinely all it takes. A couple of weeks and you'll probably be up to speed. Once you know those easy wins, you can actually make some changes. They're quite small, but they build up really fast and will have a really big impact on your life. So I just think, just learn a couple of things about money, a couple of basics, and it will save you from some of the horror stories that people like me write about. You're getting me really wanting to make a change somewhere financially so I can focus more on savings because, I don't know, I just feel like I'm a little bit rogue at the moment when it comes to finances and I do want to feel proud that I am putting an extra, maybe I do, I need to open up that extra savings account and each week put some money aside. So when we are going on maternity leave, what are we entitled to? Like what kind of payments can we access? Yeah. So you really want to check in. I think the first thing is to have a chat with your boss. And, you know, once you hit that three month mark that most people wait for, have a chat to them, have a chat to depending on what size of company you're at, maybe payroll, if you have a whole payroll department, or just your boss, if it's a smaller business, and make sure that, you know, some businesses have their own special supports. So you want to get all of that started early and give them as much time as possible for that. And then you can, you know, go to Centrelink and and check out your entitlements there. It can change a little bit depending on how long you've been at your current job and all that sort of stuff. But definitely get it started as early as you can and keep your job in the loop as much as you can because if there's anything extra on the table grab it don't be too shy about it (laughs) so when we are returning to work or considering returning to work what should we be I guess calculating like childcare costs what are the things that we should be weighing up to decide is it worth returning or should I stay at home I think the first thing you want to think about is what you actually want, right? I'm, I'm a big believer in you don't do the maths first. The maths should support whatever it is that you're aiming for. So how have you found maternity leave? Has it been everything you ever dreamed of? Or are you quite looking forward to spending some time around adults again? Do you have grandparent support? Do you want the grandparents to be taking some time with your kid? So first think about, okay, what's my ideal situation here? Then work backwards from there to say, okay, and how can we make that work? You know, can you do some work from home so that you can have a shorter daycare day, which might make it cheaper and you still feel really involved in your child's life, but you do get that break and you can still go to work and you can maybe do some evening work too. So, you know, you want to think about things like daycare. You want to think about things like transport. I mean, Lord, car seats, so expensive. Petrol. Petrol so much. Think about things like, you know, you're about to hit a stage where your kids are growing really, really fast. God, thank goodness that I have good being on my secondhand clothing journey. Everything my kid has is secondhand, which also works out because he is super rough. Those clothes are not going to anyone else after <laughs> There's him. not going to yes. be a third hand. There's yes. not going to be a third. <laughs> and just really think about all those things that you do every day and then add it in for your kid, you know, clothes, entertainment, transport, all of that. 
you've got a whole other person in your household now. And, you know, think about how you want to make that work within your life. How much can you work together as a team to combine those costs? And how much is your kid just going to be costing you lots of extra money? And really sit down with your partner if you're doing this with a partner. Sit down, pen and paper, go through it, what a week looks like for you, what you want it to look like. Then make the maths make sense as much as you can behind that. And obviously this would depend on the individual situation, but in terms of long-term, does it make more sense for, if you are in a partnership, for you and your partner to both work, say, part-time rather than one of you working full-time? Well, I think that will partly... Like financially. Yeah, yeah. And it will depend as well on how ambitious you are. Are you someone who is still pursuing you know, promotions and pay rises, because it's not just the time out of the workforce, it's the time out of career progression and skills going stale. And to get back into the workforce, you might have to take a step backwards, not just come back to where you were. So all of that can be a factor. We were very lucky, my husband and I, we've both gone four days a week. So he does four days a week of his previous hours, I do four days a week of 10 hours. So I'm technically still full time, but there's a lot of like, I get up early, I go to bed late on those four days, it's all on. (laughs) But we've found that that has been a balance that really helped us in terms of neither of us are people who want to take a career break. But we also really want to be present parents. That's a lot to ask. You cannot yeah. be two places at once. Yes. <laughs> and so doing the four days a week and he has every Monday off and I have every Friday off and those are our days and we hang out with our kid, just purely us, is really lovely. And then we he has his three days at daycare in between and that's a balance that works really well for him because he has just thrived at daycare. He's, he's amazing. He has so many little friends. It's so cute. And so that's been a balance that's really worked for us. But I think some people will say, look, I never really cared about my career. And so I'm very happy to be a stay at home parent. And then whatever happens in 10 years from now, or whenever I'm planning to get a job again, I don't really care if I go backwards, whatever. If you're both people who find fulfillment in having those professional achievements, then find a way where you can both balance it. And I mean, My husband and I got together when uh, we were 17. So I was a proper, I I was very stroppy. I would say that time has softened some of my edges in that time. But I remember having conversations with him of don't ever ask me to make a sacrifice that you're not prepared to make as well. If you want me to drop down hours at work, you best be dropping down hours at work too. And that's always been very, very important to me just from the power dynamic situation. I just don't want to have a weird power dynamic in my relationship. I know that I would feel that way. I know I would, it would leach into other areas, but that's because that's my personality. And I think people have to be just, just be super honest about who you are, flaws and all. And what do you want? What would make you feel comfortable? And then you've got to figure out the best way for your family. Can you give us some practical tips on living at the moment? What are some ways that we can really pull back? Whether we've got one kid, two kids, three kids, 50 kids, how can we make changes day to day to either save some money or just 
be able to breathe a little And obviously lighter. it's going to depend, as you said, on the things that bring you joy. But do things like changing and shopping at Aldi or cancelling mm. swimming lessons, are those things actually making enough of a difference? Mm. I'm a big advocate for start with your big expenses, not your small ones. So mm. for just Get about rid of the kids. every... Hi, <laughs> <laughs> kids. You Done. are too expensive. Problem solved. Yes. <laughs> um, but for, for just about everyone in the developed world, um, this holds true is it's housing, transport and food. And so if you can make a change in just one of those areas, big spending means possibility of big savings, right? And if you can make a little change in all three of those areas, then that actually becomes really powerful really quickly. The other good thing about it is you're not agonizing over every spending decision of the day. Yeah. yeah because that's, that's really where true. willpower goes out the window. It's more umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. It's set and forget if you change where you live or you bring in a flatmate, that is something that you do it once and it's just going to keep ticking along in your money. So the big thing is all of your regular bills go through and say, okay, A, do I need it? But B, can I negotiate this to be any cheaper? You would be shocked at how mm-hmm. companies will let you negotiate, especially things like electricity or even mm-hmm. bank fees. You can often get totally waived. You know, go through all of these bills and then call up and say, I've seen your competitors' prices this. Will you match it? If they won't match it, then do what you said you would and leave. Go to the competitor. Do not be loyal to companies that are not loyal to you. In both New Zealand and Australia, there's a real problem with loyalty tax where people pay more than they should simply because they feel like, oh, but I've been with them for years. Babes, those those companies don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's a really good point that you're making that we should always check in with our electricity company, our phone companies and and have a call and have a chat. And I always procrastinate when it comes to this stuff. I hate how much it consumes time. I hate how long that I'm on the phone for. But when I do it, I don't have to do it for another year or so. And I'm like, gosh, I should have done that ages ago. And you can save hundreds. I know those phone calls are so painful, but you can save hundreds, sometimes thousands. Exactly, exactly. Car insurance. And there's always these comparison websites around, you know, whatever your area is. Um, Sometimes it varies state by state. Sometimes it's different countries of different things. But just literally put into Google electricity comparison Melbourne or whatever. And sites will pop up that have done all of the hard work for you. Just make sure it's not, you know, an electricity company that's pretending to help you compare. Make sure it's probably independent. But, you know, these sites have done all the work for you. All you have to do is say, yeah, I use this much and oh, shoot, this plan is better for me. And if you can do that once a year, that's hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars saved for the exact same thing. Nothing in your life will change. Take that easy win because you don't get too many of them. I went and got like changed over my car and did this. I did a compare, I think compare. Compare (laughs) And I was speaking to someone that was giving me all these options of different companies. And I ended up getting, like I sat with him for about 40 minutes and giving him all the details of my car. And I was able to get not only a price reduction of what I was paying with a smaller car. So this car's a little bit bigger. I'm paying less with that. I also got included free roadside assistance. I also got a free chipped window. So anytime that cracks, it was going to be like $20 instead of $250. And there was just so many other perks I had no idea about. So those compare 
websites and companies really are bloody fabulous. I was also wondering though, how do they make money? Uh, so some of them are consumer organizations. So some of them are charities. Okay. Some of them aren't making anything. Sometimes they have things like affiliate links where they don't care who you click through. Anyone that you click through, they get a little finder's fee for you. So they don't care. They've got an okay. affiliate link for everyone. So all sorts of different things. It is good to keep an eye on that. They'll often say in the about section how they make their money. It's just me caring about other people while I'm caring about me making money. I'm like, how are you making money while <laughs> you're trying to save me making money? Just worry about yourself. Yeah, don't stress about them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess with so many people working from home, I guess it's that consideration, do you and your partner both need a car? Do you need to be paying insurance on that petrol for that? everything that's involved in the car. Are there are there any other ways through transport that you find are easy ways to make big savings? Yeah, cars are a huge one because you've got all the maintenance, petrol is through the roof, mm. you've got the, the registration of whatever type there. So if you can go down to one car, that will not be possible for everyone. But if you can, or even zero cars, um, depending if you're living in the middle of a city, mm. then amazing. That will be a huge saving for you. Some people love the e-bikes. It's a big upfront cost, but then you save a lot elsewhere. I would say the other one, and I know people get annoyed about advice like this, but it's worth mentioning because you can make some savings is food waste is a really big killer of the budget. If you can try to make sure, I mean, look, we've all got kids, right? And so the food waste- I was going to say, can you tell my toddler that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, if it works on your toddler, then let's try and replicate it with mine because, yeah, good grief. But, you know, we'd all be millionaires if that was the case. (laughs) It's just hideous. I see the food waste from here and I'm like, buddy, do you have any idea how much a grocery trip costs these days? But as much as you can, buy as local as you can, for starters. The more local it is, often it stays in season. That's cheaper as well. But, um, you know, the farmer's markets and things are often so much cheaper than the supermarkets. Supermarkets are convenient. But when you can, if you can, on your way, home from work say okay today I'm hitting up the butcher and today I'm hitting up the fruit and veggie shop and if you combine it into trips you're already making those individual stores are often cheaper and then yeah in terms of the food wastage it's going to be on the parents not the toddlers (laughs) but mum and dad you know get dedicated on eating the leftovers or figuring out soups or curries or whatever, because that is um, food wastage is something that costs the average household. The last time I looked, and this is several years ago now, uh, it was about 600 bucks a year, can be more, will definitely be more by now with the way food prices are. So anything you can do to cut food wastage will be worth it. I actually agree with that because I found I had so many rotting vegetables and obviously I had good intention to make this and make that, but then, you know, plans would change and we weren't able to be home or blah, blah, blah. So I ended up doing working with these food companies and what they do is they literally give you the portion amount that you need for that dinner and there is no waste. Like that's it. For that day, we're all eating this dinner. I'm not throwing out anything. We do have the leftovers. I don't eat leftovers just to be transparent, 
but my husband does. And it's been a really good way to manage the the waste with food because other than that, we just buy some fruit and, you know, snacks and that's that's the way we roll. So it has been a really good change in seeing the waste. With lots of families finding it hard, you know, getting by week to week as it is, do you know any easy but efficient ways for parents to put aside money or invest for their kids' futures? Or is now just not the time to be worrying about that? Uh, My most overused phrase, it will depend on your situation. (laughs) It's really, really hard, right? I think that the best way if you want to be doing this for your kids is to make that a, a look at your budget, decide what is a realistic amount? Like, let's not sabotage ourselves by being like, in an ideal world, I want to set my child up for generational wealth. So it's going to be $200 a week. And you know, you only have 20, you know? So just mm. looking and being realistic, even $5 a week is fantastic. If you have 18 years of planning for your kid, $5 a week will build up fantastically. That'll be great. That'll be more than I got when I left home. So just have a look at your budget and decide what's realistic for you. What can you commit to? And then make that an auto payment for the day after payday so that it goes straight through. You hmm. don't even see it. It's never seen, never missed. And it just goes straight into the account. And then I know sometimes people are nervous about investing, but when you have a long time frame, like 20 years for your children, and you're thinking, yeah, this can be a future house deposit or whatever, then you can consider something like shares because that will help the money grow more and mean that they get a bigger nest egg whenever they get to it. And they've got the time for the market to do its thing. Now, yes, Mm. you will have to learn just a little bit about how all that works. Like I say, I promise it doesn't have to be complicated. Things like index funds have made it super easy. Just read a couple of books, set up an auto payment, and that will be an amazing gift for your children. And like I say, five bucks a week is fine. 20 bucks, amazing. If you're someone who can do 200 bucks a week, good for you. But five bucks, 20 bucks, that will build up really quickly. Just make sure it's auto payment. My mother-in-law actually does this for all her grandkids. So every birthday and Christmas, obviously they get their gifts from, you know, mum and dad, but she just puts money into their accounts because one, they don't need extra gifts, but she feels like if she does that every year, she's actually accumulating and giving something to them in the future. And I think that's a really, a really great idea. 100%. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we could talk to you yeah, forever, forever and we would love to get you back if you'd like to come back to, totally. to chat about how we can actually speak to our kids about money yeah. and pocket money and that kind of thing if you'd be keen. But I feel like I have learned so much today. Thank you so much and have an amazing day. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a delightful chat and yeah, I'll come back anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.